Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. So what would you ask for? The Lord Almighty of heaven and earth comes to you and tells you to ask him whatever you want. What would you ask for? I asked some kids earlier this week, and you can imagine as imaginations go the way kids' imaginations go, some of the things that they said, I wish I could fly like Superman. And I can kind of empathize. I maybe wasn't the only child who strapped cardboard wings to my hands when I was a kid and thought that I could jump off the couch and continue to fly, and that didn't work. I wish I had superhuman strength like that of, of the Hulk. Sure, sure you do. But if you're going to tame in your childlike imagination for a second, you probably, when asked that question, could come up with some more sobering responses. What, what would you ask for? I imagine that some of us would ask for things like, how about answers? More than just answers to silly questions like, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Or, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? But serious questions like, why is this happening to them? To me. Why does this injustice seem to go unchecked, Lord? I'd like an answer. How can I know that there's certainty for me and for that of my family? Maybe you would ask for huge things on the macro level, world-changing things, like an end to world hunger, a cure to cancer, or an end, resolution for all that is hatred and division of any kind. Maybe you just ask for something a little smaller, something that hits a little closer to home, a little boost in your own financial picture, maybe a resolution to your marriage, some solution for your child who's struggling with something, maybe a fix in your friendship, no more doctor's visits, a resolution at work, or maybe just total, totally new job altogether. Whatever you might ask for, it's actually a, something worth considering. It's a scenario really worth considering. It's more than just a hypothetical because odds are, whatever you have imagined just in the few minutes I've asked you to imagine it, you've already asked God anyways, haven't you? And God, your Heavenly Father, invites you to come to his throne in prayer and to ask him anything, just as children ask their earthly fathers. It's more than just a hypothetical for another reason, too, because it helps us to get into the mind of the wisest man who ever lived. It helps us to actually get into and understand the wisdom of God's design of our entire life, especially as we take a look at our lesson from 1 Kings chapter 3. It's exactly what he has laid out for us. You see, it's not so much what we would ask for, it's why we ask for it. I invite you to have that lesson open, and as you open up to it, it's located on page 12 of your worship folders. Feel free to open your Bibles, too. It's helpful to know where Solomon is at this time. Solomon just became king, and he had a little house cleaning to do. You see, David's on his last leg, and David's other son, by the name of Adonijah, tried to claim the throne. But the Lord anointed Solomon and there were other conspirators, too, people trying to undercut Solomon and take possession of the throne. These people did it while David was king, too. So Solomon kind of had to clean that up, and it kind of became resolved. And when Solomon stepped in, to say that the circumstances were ideal is an understatement. They were cash rich. 
They had squashed a lot of the enemies that were picking on them for a long time, thanks to David. They controlled the trade routes between north and south and east and west, and a lot of the enemies that they had beat down were now paying tribute. So the money was coming in, and the economy was great in Israel when Solomon took over. At this time also, Solomon's fame and his wealth and that of Israel is not just located in that region, it's spreading to others. The world power, one of them at the time, Egypt, is now allying itself with Israel, and the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is giving his daughter, the princess of Egypt, to Solomon in marriage. So to say that things are going well for Solomon is an understatement, and yet... While David was a man who walked with humility in the eyes of God, although he had his mistakes, Solomon certainly is going to show us some humility, but he had his mistakes too. He's relatively young at this time, maybe in his 20s. That's very young to start being a king of an entire nation, especially that of God's people. And being king of God's people is not just a political thing, it's also a spiritual leadership thing too. They, that is Solomon and God's people, are offering a whole lot of sacrifices to a whole lot of idols. Not necessarily God-pleasing. But in a show of good faith, Solomon shows some spiritual maturity. He brings a thousand sacrifices with a bunch of God's people to Gibeon, the one high place where the Ark of the Covenant was residing within the tabernacle that God had Moses built long ago. And it would re remain in Gibeon for 20 years until Solomon would later build the temple. So here he's making wonderful sacrifices to the Lord. And it is on this night that the Lord would come to him and present this incredible question. Solomon, ask for what you want. Take a look at our lesson today. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties." Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For you who is able to govern, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Solomon sounds a little bit intimidated, doesn't he? I mean, wouldn't you, if literally the God of heaven came and asked you, what is it that you would want me to give you? And you can understand why. I mean, he's following in the shoes or in the footsteps of his father, David, the only guy in all of Scripture of whom it is said he's a man after God's own heart. Big shoes, big, big footprints to follow? Absolutely. 
And David, or excuse me, Solomon knows it too. Consider how many times he says, Lord, this is all about you. This is not about me. This is about you. Even right at the beginning of the lesson, he, he makes it not about himself. He says, oh, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in my, in, in my place. Or, excuse me, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. And with all of those concerns of being a king, David could have asked, excuse me, Solomon could have asked for a lot of things. He could have reasoned well, too. I mean, he could have asked for wealth and said, well, Lord, we can always use a little bit more, and we're going to give it back to you, and we need to build this nation up. He could have asked for the heads of his enemies and said, Lord, they've been picking on your people for too long, and plus, they are inculcating your people with all sorts of idolatrous and pagan practices. You don't want that. You said so. He could have said, Lord, just give me a longer life. You know, longevity in administration is a good thing, so a longer life will help me as you're anointed to rule your people longer. But no, he doesn't ask for those things. And God commends him for not asking for those things. Why? Well, that's just it. It's not about what he asked for. It's why he asked for it. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. Because you did not ask for money, long life, or power, but for a heart of wisdom, I will do it. So the Lord is going to grant these things. Why? Because of what Solomon wanted. Solomon was demonstrating a heart like that of his father, a heart that was after the Lord and not after things. These would have been decent suggestions, the previous ones, if he would have asked for wealth or the death of his enemies or power. But the Lord, notice, he doesn't say, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. He just says, ask me for whatever you want me to give you doesn't say he's necessarily going to give it. And parents, we understand this, right? When your children start making Christmas lists, and don't panic, but it's just less than a handful of months away, when they start making Christmas lists, there are some things that go on the list that are just ridiculous. Like, I remember the first time our oldest started making Christmas. I want a race car, and I want to be able to turn this fake lightsaber into a real one. Could you imagine a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old wielding a real lightsaber? I mean, like the slap to the sister becomes very minute at that point, doesn't it? Just, just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, bet you, I bet you do want those things. Because, of course, we'd say you can, you can add that to the list. Obviously, with the major disclaimer that, yes, just because you ask for it doesn't necessarily mean that you were going to get it. What do we call that? Life. <laughs> we, we call that life. And God wants that exact same thing for our life, too. He welcomes you to ask him for whatever you want. Does that mean you're necessarily going to get it? No. Does it make your prayers irrelevant? Absolutely not. But he welcomes you to ask whatever you want. Jesus even said something like this. He said, ask for whatever you want in my name and I will do it. Does that mean you can ask Jesus for anything? Absolutely. Does that mean that he is going to give you whatever you ask for? Absolutely not. <laughs> It doesn't negate your prayers or make them pointless. What it does, though, is it encourages you to think about why you pray. What did Jesus say? Ask for whatever you want in my name. That's why he instructs us to pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's not so much about what we ask for, but why we ask for it. Is our will, our wants, our wishes, are those things in line with what God wants for our life, his design for our life? Or 
Is it about something else? And that's what made Solomon's answer so pleasing in the eyes of God. Solomon did not ask for stuff. Because then God could have rightly asked him, well, why are you asking for those things? Solomon wanted to be able to administer justice and to take care of himself and to take care of his family and to take care of God's people, all of which he knows belongs to the Lord. As six times in that short paragraph, he says, you or your, this is all about you, it's not about me. And because he demonstrated a heart that understood the why, later on, God would even give him the what. God would even give him those things. It's not about what you want in life, it's about why. So, kind of begs the question, my friends, what do you want in life? I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that is for all of you. Some of you may have shared that. And in those conversations, it gets quite deep, doesn't it? Where you start talking about the things that you really want, the things that bother you, the things that upset you, the things that you are striving for that matter more than just mundane trivialities that are here today and gone tomorrow. What is, what is it, though, that you that you really want in life. I, I, don't know, I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what turns your brain on with excitement in the morning. I don't know what causes you to lie down with contentment at night. But I do know the times when desires have taken over my heart that are not in line with what God says. I don't know what those desires are for you because I cannot see inside your heart nor you in mine, but I, I know what the reasonings are because I hear them too. In other words, I know the ways that my brain says that this is the way that life should work, even if God says it should look like that. It, it kind of sounds like this. You know, I, I could give God this specific time, and I could prioritize this better and designate this aspect of my time and my life to him, but my schedule throughout the week is getting quite full, and I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough time. Why does God somehow not get first priority when we look at our calendars and our day-to-day -day business? I, I could reevaluate all the blessings that God has given me, physical, financial, and I could look at all of that and I could give from my heart, that is business between me and God, from my heart, a first fruit of thanks for him. I could reevaluate and consider that, but there's a whole lot of bills to pay and I could consider all of those things and I could see kind of what's left why does God too often get our leftovers instead of our first fruits? God has blessed me with physical abilities that are natural just to me, just as yours are to you, and I can use those in service to him, but by the end of the day or the week, I'm just, I'm just kind of really tired. Why are we so often sapped in our strength when it comes to serving God, but so often full of energy for a whole host of other things. Let me be very clear, this is not the point in time in the sermon where I tell you exactly how you must use all that is your life for him. This is not about managed timetables, monitored giving, which is not a thing in scripture, or managing and monitoring all that is your service. Let me be very clear, this is not about that. What this is about is a humble invitation for you and for me to consider absolutely everything that God has given us in all of our life. 
our mind, our finances, all of our abilities, our time, our health, everything. And to not just consider what we want for all of it, but why. And then to ask ourselves this very sobering question. What we want and why we want it, does that, does that align with God's design that I will grow closer to him until the day when this stuff is nothing and I enjoy wealth and health and fulfillment and satisfaction forever in heaven. That's what this is about. It's not about your stuff and it's not about your money. It's not about your strength. It's not about your wisdom. It's not about your mind. It's not about your time. It's about your heart. Because when your heart wants what God wants, then all that other stuff follows as well. See, because God knows that when the design that he has given in our life becomes convoluted and twisted and confused in our life, it doesn't work out for us. I mean, you see that with Solomon. Think about it. God comes to you in a dream. Do you think you'd ever forget that dream? You think that one day you'd be like, oh yeah, I had that dream. I kind of forgot about that. No, God came to you in a dream. That's kind of a big thing, right? Yeah, how long would it take? Solomon's wealth would go way beyond Bill Gates' status. Nations would envy it, and they would do their ways to make connections so that they could be on the ins with Israel and King Solomon. They would be offering their daughters and their granddaughters as wives, and Solomon filled his life with wealth. You think your oak floors are cool? Nice. He had gold on everything. He filled his house and his courts with wives and concubines. And before you know it, especially because these people came from all over the place, he was worshiping all of those gods too. Why? Because he did not align his desires, that is the why. And he got so caught up in the things, that is the what. And you might think, how in the world could Solomon do that? That's really stupid of him. I mean, God came to him in a dream. I certainly wouldn't have forgotten that. Except that God has come to you in his word too. You have it printed on pages right in front of you. You have it on that Bible, either on your phone or in paper or both, in your pocket or even at home. God has given you his word and he's given it to me too. So for absolutely every time that our desires and our design for our life does not align with God, you know what we end up with? Because this is really where it comes down to. We end up with a whole lot of guilt because I know what it looks like for me and what it should look like and you know what it looks like for you and what it should like, should look like. And you know what God has to say about all of that? He doesn't want you to experience that dissatisfaction and that guilt and that shame. He doesn't want you to go through life wanting things because he knows that that's only going to leave you empty. And so he decided to do something about it. You see, God knew that so long as we would be pursuing stuff and filling our schedules with things that give us success and fulfillment, that that that's a never-ending cycle. Even when we try to find satisfaction in, in people, that that doesn't always work and we're often disappointed. Even when we have stuff, there's this thing called sustainable wealth and we constantly have to replenish those kinds of things. No matter what it is, time, wealth, health, intellect, all of that could be gone in a second and God knows that pursuing those things is never going to make your life full and your heart complete. And so he did the one thing that makes sense so that your life forever would be full and complete. And he did it in a way that makes total sense. Let me explain it this way. What are the things that matter most in your life the more experienced you get? 
See, the older we get in life and the wiser we get, does stuff really matter anymore? I mean, like, think of all the toys that you had, had as a kid. When you were seven year, years old, what was your favorite toy? Yeah, I don't remember either, because it didn't matter. But what is it that really mattered? What is it that still matters? It's our relationships. You could use, lose everything that you have, but if you had your family and loved ones, you, you'd kind of be really bummed, but you'd be okay. You could keep everything and lose all your loved ones, and you'd be ruined. See, God understands that, which is exactly why he was willing to make the greatest sacrifice. Not with stuff, not with gold, not with silver, but with the relationship that you and I would, can understand was closest to him. He sacrificed his own son. He was willing to give of his own family so you who were not his family would become part of his family. He was willing to sacrifice his son and put on his son's shoulders the compilation of all of our greed and misplaced priorities. Every time I've had no time for God and you too, every time he's gotten lackluster leftovers from you and me instead of our first fruits, all of that on him, God offered him as a sacrifice that would count for all so that no matter what you and I think we could do, we never could do enough, he would fulfill it completely in his son. You see, this is the wisdom of our God. When you and I recognize that he sacrificed everything so we would experience the riches of heaven, then we can see this world for what it is, can't we? Then we recognize that wisdom is not wrapped up in this world. Wisdom belongs to the God who has given you eternity. He's given you peace that surpasses all wisdom or understanding. He's given you the riches of heaven that will never perish, spoil, or fade. He's given you fulfillment because he tells you you don't have to earn with your success his approval. He's given you full approval, proof he raised his son from the dead so that you in death wouldn't stay dead but would live. Is this not immeasurable? My friends, the, the one thing that God wants you to know is not just what he did, but why. Why did God do all that? Why would someone be willing to sacrifice their own son for people who didn't deserve it? Why would God be willing to sacrifice the greatest treasure so you would have the greatest treasure, even though you and I get caught up in pursuing lackluster treasures? Why would he do that? Simply because he loves you. And he wants you to enjoy perfect peace forever simply because he loves you, so that the relationships you have now with Christian loved ones, even when you say goodbye in death, is not a real, true goodbye. It's only a, I will see you later. So that every single relationship you have now has much more profound purpose than just, oh, we're happy or we have fun together, but you can share in the joy that knows no ending. And you can communicate peace that cannot be rattled. That is the greatest worth that God gives you. That's the what. And the reason why? Because he loves you and he could only have you as part of his family. That's why. You know, this account is quite intriguing. It's intriguing for a lot of reasons because we kind of get to understand our prayer life a little bit. Not just what we ask God, but also why we ask God for it. But it's intriguing in another way. You see, I mentioned before that God did not just say, ask, and I'll give everything. 
He said, ask me what you want me to give you. He didn't promise to give him everything. But what did God end up doing? Right after this lesson, the God who came to Solomon that night gave him everything too. You see, God communicates this in words that Jesus said very similarly to what we've heard in our parables today, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the one who demonstrates that most and best is none other than God himself. See, when you demonstrate a heart that is after God, you realize that it's not about the way the world measures things, but this world can be whatever it is, and God's going to take care of it in the end. I don't know what God has in store for you. I don't know if God is going to bless you with more wealth, or he might allow that some of it would go away. I don't know if you will die with all of your possessions, but I know you can't take them with you. I don't know if you will have more fulfilling relationships the older you get in life. I don't know what God has in store for you. I don't know what he's going to give you. But I do know that no matter what he gives you, you and I know why. It is because he loves you and he only wants those things to prepare you for when you experience riches that this world cannot comprehend. Eternity in heaven. How do you put a price tag on peace or hope? And hope that doesn't disappoint, but hope that is firm, the Apostle Paul says. It's sure, it's certain. How do you put a price tag on the eternal relationship you have with your Father in heaven? And when you and I understand our wealth and our wisdom and our strength and all that is our life that way, that it's not so much what we want in life, but why we want those things. And when that aligns with God, then my friends, this life can be whatever it is. And God's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of this church. He's going to take care of me because he's God and he promises to do so. And in the end, you and I can always say, well, as long as we have whatever God wants for us, what more can we want than that? May God grant that to you all. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us and may God bless your day.